It is sometimes said of actors that eventually they reach a stage in their careers where they don't so much play themselves as play the version of themselves the audience wants them to play. Something similar goes for directors. They make but one film throughout their careers, breaking the original into pieces and simply reshaping it. But what of writers? Consider this. Screenwriter William Kelly was born on Staten Island, New York in 1929, and coming from an Irish Catholic background, he thought he had a vocation for the priesthood. So in the early 1950s, he went to study at the seminary in Villanova University, Pennsylvania. But after three years, he realized that the Lord's work was not his calling and instead transferred to Brown University, Rhode Island. There, he received a bachelor's degree in English literature, and after that, he went to Harvard, where he earned himself a master's degree in Irish literature. Moving from there, he worked as a literary editor at Doubleday, McGraw-Hill and Simon & Schuster. He published a number of novels, and by the early 1970s, he had branched into writing for television. Where are you taking us? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. We're looking for a suspect. We got reason to believe he's still in the neighborhood, and uh, I want the little boy to take a look at him. You have no right to keep us here. Uh, yes, I do. Your son's a material witness to a homicide. You don't understand. We want nothing to do with your laws. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> a lot of people I meet are like that. <laughs> in 1972, Kelly sold one of his scripts to the ABC network. Jedediah told the story of an Amish bishop traveling from Pennsylvania to set up a new community in California. An unusual premise? Well, remember, Kelly had studied in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania just happens to be the home to the biggest Amish community in America. The Jedediah story was progressing well until tragedy struck. An airplane carrying several members of the ABC team working on the project crashed and killed them all. So the Jedediah script never made it to air. When can we leave this city? I'm trying to get this over with as quick as I can, then you can go. Good. But Samuel's probably gonna have to come back and testify. I'm sorry. No, you're not so glad. I'm glad? Because now you have a witness. Yeah, now I got a witness. Three years later, in 1975, Kelly recycled the material for the hit series Gunsmoke. The episode, called The Pig Man, had the show's lead character, Richter, protecting a Simeonite woman from four killers. Richter is wounded and is taken in by the Simeonites to recover. There, he falls in love with the Simeonite woman. But Gunsmoke was cancelled, and so, just like his Jedediah script, Kelly's The Pig Man was never produced. So, not for the first time, Kelly had tried a story about a closed religious community, and not for the first time, the story had not made it to the screen. It's McPhee, Paul. He's one of them, anyway. Positive ID from the Amish kid. McPhee? Lieutenant Narcotics? Right. Hope you don't have any doubt about that. It all fits, Paul. Four years ago, Narcotics runs a raid in which, amongst other things, 550 gallons of this P2P stuff is confiscated. They put it in police storage. Philadelphia supplies all the major cities in the country with speed. They need this P2P stuff to make the speed. They pay up to $5,000 a pint for it. 
I call police storage. No record of 10 55-gallon drums of P2P. It's $22 million, Paul. And guess who ran the raid four years ago? McPhee. In 1977, Kelly's idea was given an unexpected new lease of life when one of the producers of Gunsmoke then hired Kelly to take that unproduced episode and rewrite it as one of the plot lines for the epic miniseries How the West Was Won. The story editor assigned to the project was Earl W. Wallace. Earl was married to Pamela Wallace, a very successful author of romantic fiction. Pamela Wallace came up with an original idea for a novel about an Amish woman who witnesses a murder in Los Angeles. Earl Wallace was very taken with his wife's idea and recalling Kelly's story, approached him with the suggestion that they combine their two stories. Deliver the kid's interview to Schaefer. No. I want all the paperwork on this job disappeared. Tonight, you understand? John, do you know what you're telling me to do? Just do it, man. I'm gonna disappear for a couple of days. John, what's going on, man? What is happening? I'll call you when I can. And partner, want you back. Schaefer's in this thing too. Which meant that this was Kelly's third venture in bringing his initial idea to the screen. Working together, Kelly and the Wallaces decided to name the first draft of their script Cold Home, which is the Amish term for death. The trio got their script to producer Edward S. Feldman. Feldman had over 20 credits to his name, most of them in television, and that track record had secured him a first-look development deal with 20th Century Fox. Feldman liked the story, but felt too much of the script was devoted to the Amish traditions, diluting the thriller aspect of the story. So he offered $25,000 for a one-year option and one rewrite, and an additional $225,000 if the film actually got made. Together, Kelly and the Wallaces submitted the revised screenplay in less than six weeks, and Feldman delivered the script to 20th Century Fox. But Joe Wisen, the studio's head of production, rejected it because it was a rural movie. What Wisen really meant was movies about farmers, such as Universal Studios' picture The River with Mel Gibson and Sissy Spacek, and Touchstone's picture Country, starring Jessica Lange and Sam Shepard. Every studio Feldman approached said no. Undeterred, Feldman got the script to Harrison Ford, who, within days, declared a firm interest. Paramount were intrigued and showed it to director Peter Weir. Weir had come from Australia, where he had made a string of films, each one more successful than the last. Picnic at Hanging Rock led to The Last Wave, which was followed by Gallipoli, and then The Year of Living Dangerously. Weir had landed himself at Paramount Pictures to adapt Paul Thoreau's novel The Mosquito Coast. But Paramount had just pulled the plug on it, and they were now offering Cold Home instead. Weir read it, liked it, and with Harrison Ford on board, Kelly and the Wallace's script was finally a go project. There was, however, one condition. Filming had to start immediately. Why? 
The Directors Guild of America had threatened strike action if their disputes with the studios were not resolved by a certain date. And if Cold Home didn't start straight away, it wouldn't be finished by the time the strike would start. Why didn't you get to a hospital? No, no doctor. Gunshot wound, they have to make a report. And if they make a report, they find me. If they find me, they find the boy. Once filming was announced, the marketing department of Paramount Pictures decided that the title Cold Home required too much of an explanation. So instead, it was changed to Witness. A very fitting change for the new title not only placed the film in the thriller genre, it also subtly contained the religious elements of the plot. Plainly put, Witness is a great picture. Weir's direction protects the careful clash of character and culture that Kelly and the Wallaces had worked so hard to create. The script enjoys its fair share of memorable dialogue, but above all, it provides for a very potent visual scheme. As the title indicates, Witness is about looking. And throughout the story, the film depicts several scenes in which looking becomes a moral act. Would you kill another man? I would only kill a bad man. Only the bad man, I see. And you know these bad men by sight? You are able to look into their hearts and see this badness? I can see what they do. I have seen it. And having seen, you become one of them. Don't you understand? What do you take into your hands? You take into your heart. It begins innocently enough, in an apparent Eden. But then, when little Samuel and his mother Rachel get on the train and they thunder through the countryside, we are encouraged to see the world as the characters see it. For the first time ever, Samuel sees the world as a strange, wondrous, modern entity. Then he sees it as a dangerous and violent place. But all the while, Samuel's gaze is a just and honest one. He may have left Eden, but his sense of right and wrong is maintained, and the neatly named John Book has to place his faith in the little boy. Once Book leaves his own world and enters into the Amish community, it is his turn to see the world as a different place. While he is hiding out within the Amish community, the power and meaning of looking changes. Late one night, Rachel is bathing herself before going to bed. The door to her room is open, and in a scene that could have been lifted straight from the biblical story of Susanna and the elders, Rachel sees John Book in the reflection of her mirror. She turns and almost naked, returns his look. It is a strong look and provides an incredibly powerful exchange. It says many things, all of them non-verbally. Rather than being ashamed of her nakedness, Rachel shows herself to Book. In so doing, she reveals she has nothing to hide. By returning his look, she enlightens Book as to the power of the look. So powerful is her look 
that book looks away. Come the award season, Witness earned eight Academy Award nominations, and counting amongst its peers in the category for Best Original Screenplay, Back to the Future, Brazil, The Official Story, and The Purple Rose of Cairo, Kelly and the Wallaces were very worthy recipients of the Oscar. It wasn't the only award the trio received. They were also honoured with the WGA, a BAFTA, and in 2005, the script was included in the Writers Guild list of 101 greatest screenplays of all time.